0: Welcome to LEPRT, your weekly destination to hear about what happened in the hospitality industry and around the world last week. I'm Miriam and this is Nish.
1: Hello. Um, So what we do for you is we dig through hundreds of different newspapers and uh, YouTube channels and all that kind of stuff. So you really don't have to.
0: We also keep you updated on global events, what is up in academia and what softwares are currently changing the hospitality industry.
1: We always provide the sources, so and try to stick to facts. However, we will add our own emotional spin to it. So, disclaimer: this is subjective.
0: <laughs> All right, <laughs> let's start.
1: Let's start. Uh, so, Miriam, how are you this week?
0: I'm doing really well. It's always excited to start the week uh, on a podcast with you.
1: Same, very much. (laughs) So, as you can see, we're starting with our weekly image uh, that I think summarizes some of the news we saw this week quite well. Um, There was a very interesting report from um, the American Hotel Association and Lodging Association that basically surveyed its members. And what they found out is that 82% of hotel owners are increasing their wages. Uh, And this is all as a result of basically, uh, well, you know, I'm sure there is a push from the the employees to get more money, right? But most important is there's a huge turnover uh, and also just a staff shortage, right? So whether it's because of the COVID period where a lot of people switched industry for long term of demographics probably you know a combination of several reasons point is 67 percent 67 percent of uh, hotels are experiencing staff shortages and basically in a way are trying to fight um the, the wage uh you know the, the, that whole issue with increasing wages uh something we mean you talked about quite a bit i think mm. Mm. actually two weeks ago when you mentioned that uh uh, some of the hotel operators were surprised why people are not honored to work in hotels and just enjoy the experience they have <laughs> oh. with a minimum wage, right? Mm. So, so thoughts so far?
0: <laughs> I mean, I right, I look a lot at P&Ls and, and operating, operating concepts. And I always look, I mean, also when, when you sign contracts, I think, and staffing is already now the highest cost and everybody tries to reduce that in order to still be profitable to be or to be able to pay the rent or to be able to um pay the owner's cut so to say so i kind of wonder whether that has you know a big impact on the hotel as an investment vehicle so to say because if hotel operators are not able to be profitable with the amount of rent that they're paying currently um I think it will be very difficult to maintain the current rent levels. There
1: is an argument to me, right? If you bring in tech into the whole element, right? You you can hire less people, theoretically, and then those you hire would be, by default, more high-skilled, right? You need people who can do more, who can be more flexible, who can also work with tech elements, tech tools, right? Mm. Uh, And as a result, you can bring the wages up, right? Hire less people um and technically maybe even keep the staff sort of uh, a section and the PNL smaller right so everybody's mm, happy mm. um now you know me i was thinking will this actually work so my first response was "Hmm, i'm going to go and find uh, an academic paper that actually looks at people <laughs> <'Cause> <laughs> and, you the, did. and their desires oh, of course. and their desires to to do certain things so i found one
0: I'm very surprised. Yes, yes. Um, If the people cannot see, I was just like taking a sip of my coffee being like, "Okay, tell me about your paper.
1: Yeah, I will. I will. (laughs) No worries. Uh, I'm very much going to. Um, So, I mean, there's quite a lot of papers, right, on trying to understand what makes people happy. Um, The one I found that I found kind of most uh, relevant to our conversation here is um, basically studying the Gen Y, which is us millennials. Congratulations, you are a millennial, Miriam. basically looking at four elements that can impact the... So they they looked at previous studies and found that uh, basically there's four topics that can impact uh, job satisfaction, in turn will impact employee commitment, and then in turn will be able to keep the employee... Uh, at the company right and then after surveying i think right around 400 people so approximately i think 355 employees uh, specifically in the hospitality industry right that's why i think the study is more relevant because you can survey people in the tech world and but they have very different understanding of what they should be doing but these are specifically employees uh, of our age group uh, within the hospitality industry and what you can see here is a result is first of all Uh, The number one topic that uh, will impact job satisfaction and in turn, you know, allow people to stay at the job or not allow, motivate them to stay is work environment. So it's the highest correlation between work environment and job satisfaction, Uh, meaning, you know. Uh, let's say uh, your office is not in a cellar, and you have a window, and you're allowed to eat sometimes. You know things like that, right? Um, uh, the next topic is empowerment. I think me and you are very familiar, right? Uh, mm-hmm. We don't need money; we just need empowerment. Give us, give us more money. Uh, sorry, <laughs> give us, give us more decision power. And then only after that, and it drops. So basically, half uh, uh, the impact level, half the correlation. You can see here. Uh, mm-hmm. So basically, pay only uh has half the impact on job satisfaction as the empowerment and work environment so technically okay.
0: So, sorry
1: no yes keep going please
0: no i was just so again this study is on millennials not on gen z
1: well yes but i i assume uh right we've looked at similar studies before and i have a very strong suspicion gen z or the the, the, this uh, generation is going to be even worse when it comes to empowerment and giving them power <laughs> to do things. So
0: I I mean, I think I find this very interesting because I think I remember while we were at university, we were often sold the, the point that, you know, getting experience um, was the most important thing that you can get as a, as a young person, so to say, um, and getting the, the opportunity to do things yourself. Um, but I think that's also why we did so many internships we're not paid <laughs> now right so I think I don't know if that is gonna stay I, I I was speaking to younger people and they were oh I would like to have a strong mentor that teaches me um a lot of things which we were also looking for a word but we were also I think I was more looking for experience than strong mentors in that sense somehow um There is a (laughs)
1: there is the fourth element, uh, which is quite exciting, is uh, you can see here relationship with managers. So I think that's Uh, kind of what you were touching on, and mm -hmm. it's it's almost as important as pay, but just a little bit less. Okay. So just slightly less. So you know the uh, the relationship, the correlation between pay and job satisfaction is zero point twenty one, or you know twenty one percent, whatever, and then relationship with managers is zero point twenty. So technically. Pay is a little bit more important, but most important is give millennials decisions to do whatever they want and then just hope for the best, basically.
0: It's more important to have a good work, work environment. So actually, you should hire cool people and have a great office and benefits. That's pretty much what this is.
1: I mean, fair enough. You know, we, um, I, we've we been, right, due to our other <laughs> job, looking at the interior design elements and, you know, neurology <laughs> of the all and... For example, there is a study that we saw uh, that I found in a book called Designfulness, which talks about how um, employees will be around 43, I don't remember the exact percentage, 43, 46% more productive if they sit next to a window throughout the day on average. And this is a studies, you know, the meta-analysis, right? So there's several thousand people in the studies, right? So if you put someone in a typical hotel uh, if office, you might be aware, <laughs> is a very dark place somewhere. Mm-hmm. Usually...
0: <laughs> the keep them office is always next to the laundry. <laughs> you, you should,
1: exactly, usually slightly moist or maybe a bit too much mold in there. Um,
0: next to like lots of shelves of laundry and cleaning products. <laughs>
1: exactly. We had meetings with people working in hotels, right? From yeah. From the cellar somewhere, just <laughs> sitting there, crumbed up. Well, that apparently, basically decreases their productivity almost by half right so um,
0: honestly I mean for a housekeeping office also often they want people to be on the floors right they don't want them to sit in the office so I guess that can also be strategic
1: no I mean you know for certain people yes right but you could also maybe give people a window where they can look outside when they do you know right Uh, I see your point just Thinking sometimes. Well, you know. So, in a summary, this is uh, kind of our that's that's inspired our weekly image, right? Uh, you know, give them imp- empowerment and no money, and they will be happy, basically. And I think right. on that and note,
0: still, sorry, I still need to say something else because I am just so surprised that money is the third position. Mm-hmm. Because, but it's just me. It just.
1: I mean, you I might be you maybe might be switching.
0: We grew up because we grew up quite safe. I mean, I think our generation's right. We didn't, at least in here, you and me. We, yeah, we were. We didn't need to rebuild, or, I guess. Yes, I would say could, so. Relatively we grew up speaking. Quite safely. Relatively speaking. Relatively speaking. In general, I cannot generalize. Okay, I can just talk about myself. Um, no, no, so but maybe f- why.
1: Fair enough. I mean, relatively speaking, for the past 100 years, I think our generation had it pretty pretty well. So far. <laughs> so far, for the last, exactly. I mean,
0: for us, it's 30 years, right? For the past 30 years, we can talk about 30 years. I
1: think it will be actually very interesting as well to touch on what you said, right? It could be that with age, we, uh, you know, mm-hmm. we will just switch and money becomes way more important, which is fair enough, right? Mm-hmm. I don't think you need empowerment at the age of 55. You need <laughs> money to support your family, right? So maybe... <laughs> If um, maybe there could be surveys that we could look up maybe next week uh, which look at uh, the same kind of studies but for the sort of the baby boomers the sort of the you know the, the generations before mm-hmm. and how they felt mm-hmm. like when they were 20 and 30 years old
0: I will let that research uh, I will leave that to you
1: thank you Miriam I uh, I appreciate that thank you for empowering me to do what I want <laughs> <laughs> I like it very much alright nice so tell, tell me what, which, which part of news would you like to talk about?
0: All right. Let me choose my news. OK, so I've seen I found the news that Soho House contemplates for privatization. Um, I read an, an article um, that said that um, Soho House has kind of been attacked by Glass House research. Um, they were stating that the, the business model of Soho House is unprofitable, basically, and they have way too much debt in order to be a profitable company. So just maybe to remind people, the Soho House business model is that. It's it's a private member club, so people pay monthly in order to get access to the Soho House um, restaurants, lounges, and fitness center, and rooftop. So it's kind of like a community. And honestly, Mish, I always thought it was quite a smart business model because you have constant revenues um but what happened what it says in the article is that soho house had very big growth strategies and they didn't reach them um they have kind of slashed the prices on their memberships so now they're kind of facing overcrowding so actually it has like it's like a limited business model right you can you you cannot scale the revenues unless you're growing and because they weren't wanted to grow so quickly um they're also they were expanding into less affluent cities and that additionally kind of didn't through because of that they didn't reach their set goals and they had to take more debt so now um actually the reason why this article is out now is that um, Soho House has actually authorized a 50 million share repurchase. So they're actually thinking to go back private to remove themselves um, from the stock market.
1: Um. I also, when I read that, right, it sounded like they just basically did that because they wanted to prove to, because there was like rumors that they are kind of going under and they're like, no, nope, we can just buy back 50 million worth of shares yeah. and just, you know, do whatever we like. We're fine, basically. Right. So.
0: Oh. You think that's just a flex, a muscle flex? Um, no. b-
1: maybe, <laughs> right? Because the new <laughs> the, the the Skift article mentions that they did that after the there was basically claims made that they are not doing well in terms of uh, bottom okay. line. Mm-hmm. Um, I, right. I mean, there could be a multitude of reasons to go private, right? I mean, you all may very much. What other reasons? When you, I mean, there is less uh, oversight. You can do whatever you want, mm-hmm. right? So, for example, Mars, mm-hmm. one of the biggest you know sweets companies in the world is private 100 percent. they don't have mm. to report to anyone they don't have to look at their uh, you know stock uh basically price every every month mm. right whoever yeah. is running the company which currently is the mars family as far as I'm, i don't mm. want to make mistakes there but they don't care what people think outside of them they can actually look at the bottom line and make sure that bottom line looks good right and if they feel like it yeah. they can just destroy that bottom line burn the whole thing down and you know go on a Uh, retreat somewhere for a few years. I'm sure they're not going to do that, right? But it is their choice. They own the company and that's it. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I mean, right? That's what I was thinking in a way. I kind of really like the Soho House business model. I thought it was quite genius to have um, consistent revenues plus F&B revenues, which are additional, which are variable. So, but yes, I guess you cannot scale it limitless. You cannot, unless you open lots of Soho houses. And because it's exclusive, it kind of defeats the price of having, or not the price, defeats the idea of having a Soho house um, at every corner. I don't know. What do you think of the business model?
1: I mean, like, kind of like you said, right? So Mm. a lot of stock, a lot of publicly traded companies, their price is based on a multiplier that people Mm. believe in, right? Let's say there is a company that recently exploded this week, last week, I think it's called Palantir. They basically do security software for AI based security software for governments and for private companies. And Mm. their multiple right now is like 186, Uh, right? So at the current price that you're buying it, if nothing changes, you will get your money back in 186 years. But obviously that is there because people believe that this company can, uh, you know, uh, increase their revenue and make a whole lot more cash within the coming years. Mm-hmm. And so that 186 is going to decrease, right? That's the belief. Most companies, though, like that are, like let's say Toyota, normal companies that are not expected to explode in 50, 100 years, whatever, are mm-hmm. trading at around 10x, right? So a... Okay. So, maybe Soho, right? I'm not sure what their stock price is right now and what's the multiple there. Um, I mean, but you're correct, right? Any real estate business is hard to um, do like a hundred, to do a 40X there or 3X every every year, right? So, I mean, startups are often expected to do that three or 4X per year, right? That's um, Mm -hmm. at at least prior to COVID. Um, But it doesn't change the business model. Business model is great. And if you are not shooting yeah. yourself in the leg and trying to get that forex signing a bunch of shit contracts, aka hmm. some companies we might have heard of before, uh, ah. <laughs> then why not, right? It's fine. You're making yeah. your money, and if you want to make, maybe that's why they want to go private. Maybe let's be optimistic. They want to get off the get rid of that pressure that they had and just do what they like. Do,
0: their, do themselves.
1: Yeah, or maybe maybe some, maybe some uh, big owners in there right now just want to keep it all to themselves or something like that.
0: <laughs> all right, let's move on. Next Let, news.
1: Let's do that. Uh, okay, so what we have is, uh, I mean, let's see, we have quite a few other things. We can probably jump to, I found this quite interesting. So Europe uh, is mandating now uh, since 2000, well, since this year, 2014, a... System called CSRD, Corporate Sustainability Reporting Directive. So, uh, as of this year, um, let me just ch- quickly check that. Basically, a certain amount of companies. Yes, so from two thousand four twenty four January first, certain amount of companies. I think this currently covers about fifty thousand companies in Europe are obliged to report sustainability results or, you know, uh, basically create a, a type of corporate sustainability report that they have to, you know, submit every year or quarterly and, and so on and so forth. The, mo- the most important goal here is that basically they have to, you know, kind of track the CO2 emissions, you know, where everything is sourced. So it's not just about what they do, but also what their suppliers do right so for example if you let's say let's simplify this you're a hotel company you have you sell milk (laughs) quite a lot of fresh milk in in your um in your hotels, right? And that milk comes from, you know, terrible sources where the cows are mistreated. Uh, the CO2 emissions are oh. crazy, you know, they're burning coal to heat the <laughs> the hangers the, the where they keep the cows. I don't know. That's bad, that's gonna impact your score, right? Um, so you are supposed to know what your suppliers do as well, right? And uh, this is, the, the article puts it as very positive, right? And maybe it is positive, uh, but on the other hand, this is gonna trickle down, right? So over the years, more and more companies will be included into this. Um, and for hotels, for example, you have so many suppliers, so many, right? That it, that it becomes very difficult to to do that. And a lot of suppliers will become well, will basically, will f- fall off the the bandwagon if they don't do this. Let's right? say you're getting your goods somewhere from outside of Europe. Good luck trying to backtrack what's going on there, right? I mean, no offense to other countries, but right, very a lot of different countries have very different ways of reporting and very different ways of doing things. As well as also, let's say, your supplier says, yeah, yeah, I'm great, I, uh, I do everything sustainably and, and then they, you know, do whatever they want.
0: It sounds like a nightmare to collect that information, hmm. right? Like, if I look, I remember ordering for new hotel openings from 150 different sources just to open the hotel. That doesn't even include food. And I was just ordering operating supply and equipment, os not CapEx, nothing. So how that that's two, three jobs
1: yeah um the article the initially the initial article that i found that reported on this was in the way actually an advertisement for a company called because that is basically st- stating mm. itself as the consulting firm that can help you do this <laughs> so once again yeah. there's, there's gonna, i need
0: to be a consultant as well
1: there's going to be a lot of very very happy intermediaries that are going to do this for you on your behalf right um so congratulations to that. Uh, my, my favorite phrase in the whole article, I think I put it here, was, uh, let me just quickly go here. Uh, Once data collection is set up, hoteliers must ensure its accuracy and be unafraid to take accountability for the company's entire value chain. Right? Wow. It's so motivating to, to for hoteliers. Now, I mean, we have a guest coming up in a few weeks, um, an ex colleague my mine, friend, uh, who... Does food studied food quality and works in that area right now. He knows, yeah, exactly. He knows quite a lot about it. I think we can discuss this with him because he told me about this almost half a year ago that Mm. this is supposed to happen. Um, So I think we can get a lot of insight there. But um, for now, at least, uh, certain so small and medium-sized companies maybe shouldn't be too worried. There is basically a directive for now uh, that says that companies that are below 20 million euro in turnover year or less than 10 employees do not have to uh, report on this yet okay so if you're let's say a small kiosk somewhere yes you Mm -hmm. do not have to report this and i think that's i mean that's fair enough um perhaps this is going to be like a, a system creating kind of regulation that will create the sort of i mean currently right there is for example, for electronics, there's a very rigid amount of certification for that, right? If you're importing mm. any sort of electronics that has anything to do with electricity, you have to get sort of certification. Mm. And it becomes, you know, um, basically anybody has to do it uh, oh. outside. If you want to bring stuff into Europe, you have to do it. And it's not so, mean, so systematic that it's...
0: I mean, I think it's super good that we need to have that. I guess it's the only way how we can... <laughs> get more detail about sustainabilities and it, it always seems like a lot of work at the beginning but maybe that just creates a whole new industry of open apis sharing information right like maybe if every supplier has that handy you can just that would just automatically be on i don't know invoices or it would just be automatically provided if it's there it just sounds to set it up just sounds like sounds like a nightmare to me
1: the the actual uh, guest that we have coming up did a thesis on blockchain technology and how that can be yeah. used to, to backtrack all of this, right? Because there's going to be uh, a that... lot of tracking going on. And if it's manual, that is yeah. then
0: it's... It's exactly what came to mind. The whole blockchain thing might be right. I don't know if this is also kind of a push to move towards blockchain somehow.
1: Perhaps. <clears throat> but in the end, right, if, if this works uh, and it doesn't become sort of a gimmick where people can report fake results and, you know, I'm sure there's going to be tricks, you know, on how to uh, make sure something doesn't look as great as it is. Right. So um, nonetheless. Right. I th- let's see. Let's see how it goes. And I mean, it's fair enough. Right. If you're a small hotel. With a few employees, you don't have to do that yet, right? Maybe maybe, <laughs> maybe in a few years. But hopefully back, by then, there's going to be a lot more systems in place that make it easier for you. So, yeah. Yes. I think uh, yes, yes. we have um, time for one more piece of news. Uh, kind of a mix of what you and I brought in together. Uh, yes. Yes. So.
0: It's about uh, I mean, maybe I start and then you, you pick it up. Yep. Um So I found an article about um, Chinese New Year. I mean china's lun- Chinese china's lunar new year 2000 and tw- uh 2024 embrace embracing adventure over tradition and i was like you know personally i love uh, uh chinese new year lunar new year um so we always had the image of right i think here in europe of, of kind of asian travelers that have They sit in a big tour bus and then they go to all the different stations and then they hop off and then they have one day where they just shop until they drop. That's kind of what we had like a stereotypical image of how Asian tourism works in Europe. And I've seen that that is actually shifting in 2024. More influencers and Asian travelers are looking for, be folk adventures like seeing the northern lights Nord- northern lights and going to kind of secret places. So that I, I thought this shift was super interesting because that means if people want to attract Asian tourists and here it says Chinese, um, they need to rethink their business models, right? So I I don't know, I just thought it was super super interesting.
1: It also shows the maturity of the market, right? The uh... I think that the sort of the the rudimentary version of tourism is you put people on the bus, <laughs> you force them, and you try to put them as many as as you can, sort of like sardines in a can, and then you ship them through a bunch of locations and uh, you make commissions everywhere. <laughs> Everybody's happy, right? But uh, perhaps this is this shows that um, people are, um,
0: yeah, they want to more informed, uh, right? Yeah. Like they kind of they have done the oh my god, we don't know how to do this. Uh, They actually want to get to know the country. I think the barrier is coming down somehow. And I I love that. I don't know. This is how I I feel. This is a big change.
1: Uh, The interesting part to me was that I found a kind of the other side of that news. Um, Mm. So um, basically, the European Travel Commission releases a report every quarter on sort of the major sources of tourism to Europe. Right and right, you know, me, you know, it's relevant, obviously, for European businesses, but also for any anyone else who wants to understand what different target groups want to do, and what the report looked at. There's two topics that I found interesting. First of all, uh, you can uh, basically there is the element of how many people from different countries. So we have Brazil, China, U.S., Japan, Canada, Australia, South Korea, want to do long haul travel, right? And basically, you know, that number goes up and down. During COVID period, that obviously dropped. Uh, now, on one hand, you can see China dropped quite a bit in twenty twenty four. So, it almost dropped by I think uh, right around fourteen percent. So, fourteen percent less Chinese people want to go on long haul travel, and perhaps maybe those are the people that um, you know uh, don't want to go. <laughs> were the ones who you know maybe want to. Uh, go sort of on this booked, you know, prearranged trips through buses and so on and so forth. Mm -hmm. Um, But nonetheless, uh, and then obviously the report, and for those who really want to know, we we link that in the newsletter, right, goes into very different um, topics as, you know, why people want to travel, you know, country by country. But as you mentioned, there is then a breakdown of basically these different sources of tourists for Europe and the reasons why they want to go. So, as you mentioned, uh, Chinese, Chinese, so 38% of Chinese want to travel to Europe because of culture and heritage exploration. And only uh, right around 16% want to do it because of luxury shopping. So, Mm. that is obviously, I would say, a win. Yeah. (laughs) So, um, well, for some. I mean,
0: it depends for who, right? Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Depends for who. But... I think it's—I don't know whether it's a win or or a lose. I just think it's super interesting that that consumer profile is changing, and I and I'm super excited for Europe also to adapt to that to see what kind of offers, right? Whether they're able to embrace that consumer change, if if you know if Europeans are are open to kind of cater to that new demand, I. I'm super excited to see.
1: I mean, this is kind of jumping on the bandwagon of experience economy, right? We talked about it quite a few times. And also, I mean, technically, this kind of travel is more sustainable, right? Because the money that people spend... It isn't going to Gucci bags that are maybe produced somewhere in China, right? I'm I'm not saying Gucci Mm -hmm. bags are produced in China, but, you know, a lot of luxury goods are not necessarily produced locally, Um, right? They are spending money on local businesses, on uh, local economy, on local foods, right? That's what part of that whole portfolio of, you know, spending. So. In in a, in a way, that's the most important thing. Is how do people travel? What means? Obviously, they have to fly in, right? I don't think anybody in China is mm. going to take a a train through the Trans-Siberian Express, <laughs> but still, um, at least the money they will spend is going to be more impactful for the locals. So, yeah, I think the the stereotypes pre- previously were, as you mentioned, right, quite the opposite. <laughs> so mm, exactly. So, all right,
0: hmm. I think. Nice. I,
1: I think on that note.
0: Thank you so much.
1: Thank you to Miriam. And I see you soon again. See
0: you soon. Bye-bye. And bye-bye. Have a wonderful week.
1: You too. Bye.